Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you and welcome back to VOC 91.3. I'm Khawa Solomon in our little bit extended or normal time of a question and answer forum where we take your questions on 47913. Um, you may also call our institute number. Our, our um, technician um, would be glad to take your questions, jot it down, and inshallah we'll follow it through on the next show, inshallah. Right now we're dealing with questions as they have come through in the past weeks, and we continue them. Let's welcome uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Assalamu alaikum, Jew Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran once again for joining us. Jazakumullah khairan. Questions and answers. Yeah, the next question is, Salam, can a person say any of the Almighty's name in sujood after your normal adkar and how many times? Shukran, Salam. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-mursaleen abina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Of course, using the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dua uh, is something which is recommended. We are actually uh, instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to call on the names of Allah ta'ala. In Surah Al-A'raf, chapter 7, verse 180, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got the most beautiful of names. So call unto him using these names. Okay, So if a person is in salah and the essence of salah is dua, that you are able to make your du'as in your sujood, etc. Nothing stops you from calling out some of Allah Ta'ala's names while you are in sujood. Like if you feel like saying, Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim, Ya Ghafoor, you know, Ya Ghaffar, and all these names, nothing would prevent you from doing that. In fact, like I said, it is encouraged for us when we make dua that we use Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's names while making our dua because it is a form of supplication which is highly recommended. Because just invoking Allah's name alone has a lot of barakah. It has mm-hmm. a lot of spirituality. It has a lot of power. You know, Ya Fattah, if you're in a difficulty, you say Ya Fattah, oh the one who opens, oh the one who gives victory, for example. So these are all permissible. It's nothing wrong for you. And the person is asking in terms of the amount of times. One one should judge, you know, that you don't have to, there's no restriction, you don't have to. And here obviously you will take into consideration whether you are making salah alone or whether you are making salah with, with other people. Mm. If you are leading salah for others, you obviously keep it minimal. I mean, you're not going to make it long because that is the sunnah of jama'ah salah. However, if you are making your sunnah salah, your tahajjud, especially at night, and you feel you want to call out on Allah Ta'ala's names, you know, it is something that is actually very good and something that is recommended to do, especially while a person is in his sujood. As the questioner is mentioning here, something that uh, one can confidently say is acceptable within the limits of the Sharia. Shukran, Sheikh. All right. So the next question is, can a legitimate child inherit money from the father who made the, mon- who made the mother pregnant before marriage? Yeah. Uh, in terms of him uh, uh, inheriting, obviously, from the so-called father, no, he cannot inherit from the so-called father because in the Sharia, the father is not given the status as the father because obviously he indulged in something which was haram and committed zina. Uh, however, the child may inherit from the mother and vice versa. Okay, So the mother may inherit from the child, the child may inherit from the mother. And the reason being is that the child was actually part of that mother. I mean, the child grew in the body of that mother. The mother was the one that fed the child right at the beginning where the child had no other recourse but to live from the milk of the mother and the care of the mother, etc. And that is why the Sharia still gives the status of the mother in that uh, relationship where the child was born out of wedlock. So the child may inherit from the mother and the mother may inherit from the child whereas the father 
father or the so-called father rather is not considered to be the father mm. because of the act of uh, haram that he has committed. And of course, it is a strong deterrent for people not to commit zina because it may affect the child's life. If mm. you commit zina and the child is born mm. out of wedlock, then it means your action is going to have an impact on that child's life. You will not have a normal life. You will not have a normal father, etc., etc. So one should uh, then try to discourage the act of promiscuity and the act of zina so that the child is not going to grow up in this very awkward uh, situation whereby he will have nothing to do with his so-called biological father which is given absolutely no status in the deen of Islam because of the act of zina and the gravity of this transgression uh, in Islam. Shukran so much. And uh, we continue with your questions on 47913. We have Sheikh Ibrahim was with us answering your questions. And shukran for Sheikh for giving that detailed answer. Salam, can I make witr after Aisha every night and stand up for tahajjud about an hour before fajr every morning? Is this right? Shukran. Yeah, there is uh, initially nothing wrong with the procedure that the person describes here, uh, meaning if a person uh, stands up uh, in the middle of the night or just before Fajr and they make the Hajjud Salah, the, the issue comes up now with Witr Salah. Um, the person describes here that they make Witr before they go to bed and then they actually stand up. Mm. There's nothing wrong with this procedure. Your Witr is correct. Your tahajjud is correct, inshallah, and we hope that Allah will accept from you your efforts. Um, however, it is uh, uh, ideal, according to the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, that if you know that you will be able to stand up for tahajjud salah, if you are confident that you will make it to stand up, then it is recommended that you postpone your witr salah for after your tahajjud salah. Okay? This is only if you are confident enough. So let's say it's a habit. You know that most of the times you stand up at least an hour or half an hour before Fajr and you get time to at least make two raka'ahs or four raka'ahs or six raka'ahs of tahajjud. And you know yourself, you know that it happens most of the time. Then in such a case, it is actually recommended for you to postpone your witr salah. So after your isha, you simply make your two raka'ah sunnah that is attached to the isha salah, but you don't make your witr. And you rather leave your witr for after your tahajjud salah. Okay, that is recommended. Let's say the person does not do that, but follows the procedure which is described here, hmm. where they know they stand, they're going to stand up, but yet they made witr after Isha Salah. Nothing wrong. It's just you did not follow the recommended sunnah. That's all. Hmm. You did not get the recommended sunnah as the way the Prophet ﷺ had actually uh, prescribed. Okay. Now, there's another scenario. If a person does not know or he, he or she is not confident, that they will get up for tahajjud. So let's say the person normally does get up, but that particular night, the person knew that he or she is overtired. Hmm. You know, they won't be able to get up except with the adhan of fajr. Then in such a case, it is recommended for the person to immediately make the witr salah after the isha and not to postpone it. Okay? Because otherwise, if, if the adhan of fajr goes, then it means the time for witr is over. You won't be able to make your witr at all okay so if you don't know you're going to get up you're not confident enough then it's better to make your your witr salah immediately and a question that latches onto that one now so let's say this is now just another scenario that, that i'm thinking of the person for that particular evening thought that i won't stand up for tahajjud because i'm probably too tired so he or she makes the witr immediately after isha salah so what happens now if he or she actually gets up for tahajjud mm-hmm. Are they able to still make tahajjud? The answer is yes. You can still make tahajjud. 
the tahajjud and the witr is not related. It does not affect one, does not affect the other. So if you've made your witr finish thinking that you won't stand up, but in the event you couldn't sleep and you still stood up an hour before fajr or half an hour, then you are still allowed to make your tahajjud salah. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wrong with that. The only thing here now is that since you've already made your witr, you will not repeat your witr. Okay, this is a golden rule. We never make witr twice in one night. Okay, so whether you've made it before you went to bed or whether you make it after, you not you do not repeat the witr at all. Witr okay. is only done once a night. Because some people may have the impression that once you've made tahajjud, I think this is where the misunderstanding comes. Mm. Some people think once you've made tahajjud, it is a must for you to make witr afterwards. Okay. And that is not so. Okay, it is recommended. But it's not a must. Mm. Especially if you've already done your witr salah, then it is not permissible for you to actually repeat the witr. There is a very clear text in this regard in a hadith where the Prophet wasallam clearly, clearly states, لَا وِتْرَانِ فِي اللَّيْلَةِ There shall be no witr. There shall be no, there shall not be two witrs. There shall not be two witrs in one night. Okay. Once it is done, it is done. And whether we stand up for tahajjud afterwards or not, that is not uh, that, that that does not have an impact on the witr that we've made. Both the witr and the tahajjud will be entirely intact, inshallah ta'ala. Shukran, Sheikh Ibrahim. So with that, we will take a short break and continue questions and answer forum after this, inshallah. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station. 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. I'm Khawa Salomon. This is Questions and Answer Forum. And of course, answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst. We continue with the SMSs that we received um, on 47913. Please do continue sending them. Um, I know it feels as if it's a bit late us answering your questions or you didn't hear it when you sent your questions through. Note that it's always uh, um, dealt with a week or two after the questions are sent because we do have a backlog of questions. So let's continue. Assalamu alaikum. When you leave your musalla out on the floor, is it necessary to fold over the corners of it? I have seen people do this and they say it is so that shaitan does not sit on the musalla. Sheikh, your comments. Uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yeah, this is also one of those questions that I am not too, too too much aware of uh, in terms of where it comes from or whether there is a basis for this, uh, for the uh, mats to be folded over, etc. Uh, there may be uh, another logical explanation why the mats must be folded up. Perhaps it's the issue of cleanliness and uh, hygiene where you don't want people to, uh, tramping all over the musalla. So uh, from that point of view, obviously, it's better to fold it up because you don't want a dirty musalla or a musalla that people have been walking over. Mm. But in terms of uh, shaitan sitting on the musalla, if it is not folded up and all of that, uh, I personally haven't come across uh, something like that. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't, but I haven't come across something like that. And perhaps I, I just need to uh, read up a bit more and uh, investigate a bit more whether there is such a thing or not, or whether it just uh, is a pure custom, you know, that people practice okay. where they don't want the musalla to be lying around, not used, and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Because the question that would come to my mind is if you have a designated area where you make salah and the musallas are always there, mm. I mean, does that also m- mean that you must fold up the musallas, or is it fine, or wh- what is the issue? And also, Shaitan 
Khan coming where the Musalla is, I would imagine that he wouldn't want to be where the Musalla is. Mm. Because in any case, a place of Salah, like I said uh, on another show, places of Dhikr, place mm. of Quran, is normally places where Shaitan does not like to frequent. Okay. right? So whether he will frequent a place where there is a Musalla that is open, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. I'm not aware of anything like this. But uh, perhaps in the near future, I will sort of try to look into it a bit more deeper and see if I can, uh, you know, uh, give a, a further input mm. on this particular issue, inshallah. Misschien van kan onze oude mensen zich voor ons bekijken en voor ons SMS with their advice and think yes, and tell course. us where I mean, it's actually come from. Absolutely, or, you know, we where, welcome all of yeah. that because sometimes, you know, I do believe that our old people sometimes they had hikmah in mm. doing certain things, and whilst uh, many times they did not always tell us why we should do yeah. it and so on, they never gave us dalil. You know, today it's all about what is your proof, what is your dalil. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you can't give a dalil, then don't speak. I think in the yeah. olden times it was more about the respect, you know, yeah. you accept. Because you respect, respect the person yeah. uh, So if, if there are any of the elderly That can give us some advice You know why mm. it is done Or can, must it be done Should it be done We are obviously more than open To learn from them And mm. to benefit from their knowledge And expertise mm. And uh, from our side also I mean we can also try And investigate and see You know Because it is also important That whenever we state something You know to be halal Or to be haram Or to have a certain ruling Within the sharia It is obviously uh, important That you need to base it on something You need mm. to have a dalil You need to have a reference or a proof for it. You know, you cannot just, uh, our Sharia is sacred. You know, you cannot just make up things uh, without substantiating. Okay, and I'm not saying that people are doing this. Um, uh, to the contrary, I do believe that most of the time people do have uh, proof for what they say, but they may not know it or they may not understand it. Mm. So, yes, we, we, we will appreciate if people can come and give their comments as far as this is concerned so that we are also able to, to learn from that particular situation, inshallah. Inshallah. All right, the next question. Can a woman who is getting married be in the masjid for her nikah whilst she has her period? Yeah, entering the masjid for a, a person who has hayd or who has a major ritual impurity, whether it be a male or a female, is obviously something which uh, has been prohibited uh, by the Prophet wasallam, where there is obviously a hadith that, that specifically speak about the issue of uh, a hayd and a junub. A hayd would obviously be a human who is in a state of menses, as well as a, a, a male or a female who is in a state of major ritual impurity where they need a ghusl for them to enter and to actually to stay in the masjid. Um, uh, this has been uh, stated in many ahadith. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the ahadith, the Prophet ﷺ clearly says, you know, لا أحلو. I do not make it halal for a woman in hayd and for a junub to enter and to remain in the masjid. Okay, And there is of course uh, exception to this rule Let's say a woman has to pass through a masjid uh, in, in order to come out on the other side Because the house is on the other side And the, the masjid is sort of a, 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 a thorough way to, to actually reach her home Then in this case as long as she is comfortable That she will not contaminate the masjid with any najasa mm -hmm. Then she is able to pass through the masjid There is no problem The issue here is remaining in the masjid as such While you are in a state of of hayd okay? okay this is something which has been prohibited in in the sharia and as far as i know all the madhahib the different madhabs you know they all agree on this on this matter that a person should not enter the masjid while in the state of hayd uh, and especially for this reason that is stated i mean the reason of just being present when the nikah is taking place 
I mean, uh, in any case, customarily, this is something that was never done. I mean, mm-hmm. the woman uh, customarily would never come to the masjid, but the, rather they would wait at home, and obviously the, the males would go and, and, and witness the nikah. That used to be our custom. And it seems that the custom has changed somewhat, where some women also feel they want to be part of it and they want to be in the masjid. And yes, whilst there is nothing wrong with that, nothing that stops them from also being part and parcel of the procedures of nikah, mm-hmm. we have to obviously also take into consideration the laws and the regulations pertaining to the masjid. Mm-hmm. One of which is the Prophet ﷺ not allowing a woman who is in a state of hayd to actually sit and remain in a masjid while she is in that particular state. Sheikh, what about for teaching purposes? If classes take place in, in a masjid and, um, you know, the, the woman has, she's a madrasa teacher or, you know, she's teaching Quran or whatever, what, in those sort of circumstances? Yeah, I, I, possibly what I, what I can think of is that in many of these instances, alhamdulillah, I think the arrangement is as such where the classes don't actually take place within the masjid itself, mm. but rather it takes place within the madrasa area or okay. an area that is designated for teaching rather than for salah and stuff like that. And in this case, Obviously there's no issue Because the rules only apply To the actual designated area Which is a masjid Which is used for salah And for jumu'ah And stuff like that But if it is an area That is annexed Or that is added Or that is used for Teaching purposes Then in that case I suppose I mean uh, There's no doubt That there would be no problem In her obviously frequenting And I think the mas- uh, You know The masjid can make That kind of arrangement Whereby the classes don't actually take place in the main area or the main salah area, you know, or rather it takes place in the hall or it takes place upstairs or it takes place in the area that has been added for the teaching and for the classes. So if that is the case, there is, there is no issue for her to, to, to continue um, to doing that. And alhamdulillah, I see most of our masajid have been making those kind of provisions and have been making sure that uh, those uh, discomforts do not actually surface because of the arrangement as to what part is actually the masjid and what is part of the madrasa, etc. There is a good sort of understanding amongst our uh, people uh, as far as that is concerned, uh, in any case, what I have seen. Yes. So from one head question to the other, Sheikh, I know Sheikh's always saying, no, 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 I usually leave those questions for my wife, but <laughs> we have to deal with it now. Um, my daughter is nine years old, and a few months ago we discovered some form of a brownish spot on her underwear. And because it is, it did not happen before... It did not happen before. We then made our own conclusion that it could possibly start be a start of her menstruation. It's been several months now and nothing has appeared since then. Is she mukallaf and mashi mek salah? Please advise. Yeah, uh, I, it's, first of all, I want to comment that, alhamdulillah, I feel very proud that at least the parents, you know, they are vigilant as far as this is concerned. And they are concerned in terms of, uh, you know, what the uh, procedures would be now for this daughter of theirs becoming mukallaf, etc. And this shows uh, parents that really have their children's well-being at heart. And parents should be like that, you know, Mm. especially with these issues. Because we know these are issues that affect uh, a child's life. And it is very important that the child becomes educated in these things. Especially with regards to the rules of hayd and menstruation and all these things. Uh, It is uh, sometimes you find where families and parents don't play that role. Where they actually just leave it to the muallima or they just want to sort of uh, turn a blind eye to what is happening. And in the event the child may be mukallaf a long time ago without them knowing. Right, because they are not proactive or they are not uh, showing the necessary interest mm. that should be shown. So that is the first comment. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that the parents are, of course, vigilant as far as this is concerned. Uh, uh, in terms of the question here, uh, of course, we know that uh, the minimal age for 
a uh, person to become mukallaf is the age of nine, right? As they stated here, if let's say the the, the child sp- was 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 seen with spots before the age of nine, let's say the age of eight or seven, then that will be totally disregarded, okay? Because the minimal age for becoming mukallaf is nine. Uh, so here, yeah, the, the the child has reached this age. Mm-hmm. However, the, the the issue here is they just saw some spots, but they're not sure whether it is or not. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the rules that uh, the fuqaha or the jurists explain to us with regards to this is that in terms of the height, there is what we call a minimal period of height. There's also a usual period of height, and there's also a maximum period of height. And what this means is that whenever it is below the minimal or it is beyond the maximum, then it will mean that whatever blood or whatever uh, spots is seen, either below the minimal or beyond the maximum, that will not be considered hayd, but rather it will be considered at an abnormal emission of, of fluids. Okay? Now, just quickly, what is the minimal, what is the usual, and what is the maximum? Mm-hmm. And these are rules which our daughters and our sisters have to learn in order to uh, recognize and know their bodies and so that they can sort of identify what state they are in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the minimal amount uh, that uh, a person must experience menstruation before it can be classified as height, the minimal is 24 hours. Okay, the minimal amount of hayd is 24 hours. So in other words, you, you, in the sharia, you don't get a woman that will only bleed, let's say, for a few hours and then become clean. That will not be considered hayd. Okay, the minimal is 24 hours. The uh, usual period is six to seven days. Okay, that will be the normal flow. And then there's also the maximum period as stipulated uh, in the sharia, and that is 15 days. Okay. The maximum is fifth. So if a woman, let's say, a woman experiences height up until eight days, nine days, ten days, that is all possible. Okay. Mm. Once it goes to fifteen days, up until fifteen days, it's still possible. The moment it becomes fifteen days, then from that moment onwards, the woman will consider whatever fluids emits afterwards will be considered what we call istihada. Istihada means it is a flow of blood that is abnormal. That is not actually normal. And in other words, what it means is after that maximum period, the woman will not leave off her salah. She will wash herself. She will clean herself as much as possible. And then she will make salah. She will fast. She will do all the necessary because whatever is beyond the 15 days is not considered to be hayd. Okay? Istihada. It's called istihada. Okay. It's from the same word, hayd, but it's just a different form of the okay, word. Hayd, yeah. Yeah, hayd, hayd and also. istihada. It's yeah. exactly the same word. The hayd is obviously the natural flow. And the istihada is whatever is beyond the natural. And then there's also one last point, just as a matter of interest. The minimal amount of days that a woman is clean before the next cycle appears is also 15 days. Okay? The minimal amount is 15 days. So a woman cannot experience height. Let's say, I'm just giving a scenario. Let's say she experienced menstruation for six to seven days. Okay? Then she is totally clean. She washes herself. She makes salah. Right? Now, she cannot experience hayd again, let's say, after four or five days. Okay, let's say there is a blood flow again after four or five days. Then she will know that that is not hayd. Because the minimal amount of clean days is 15. 15 Before the next cycle can actually appear. Okay, so just coming back to this actual, I I know I've given a lot of information. I actually foresee a lot of SMSs not coming (laughs) in, Sheikh, about this. And inshallah, we will simply divert all those SMSs to our women folk who are more sort of comfortable with these questions. And I'm just doing what uh, the minimal. (laughs) But uh, I I know I've given a lot of information. But just to come back to the question then, this little daughter uh, that has experienced certain brown spots, 
if the mother and father is not confident that it was there for 24 hours, let's say it was just uh, some spots but it wasn't seen again, then because it was less than the minimal amount, and especially mm. it appears like that now, if you look at the question, it says it stayed away for a whole six months. Right, mm. nothing happened. So it appears that she was not yet mukallaf. Mm. Okay, and so what we advise now is just to sort of uh, watch her uh, routine and watch her habits. Mm. And if it is that at any stage she experiences spotting or blood flow for a minimal of 24 hours, then it means she is definitely mukallaf. And Haid has now dawned upon her with obviously certain rules of salah and all of that must be taught to her exactly how she must uh, interact with these phases that she obviously is going to experience uh, with the development of her body. Inshallah, shukran, Sheikh. And I think with that comes, you know, certain responsibilities from a parent to a child. And often we think that, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's as easy as said as done because you sit down and you put on the rules and I know it started from the age of seven already. Um, just on this now, Sheikh, if you could guide us with regards to um, what it is that the religion asks of us as parents to do when it comes to making salah, because now this parent is saying, um, is she mukallaf and, and must she make salah? So from from the guide of what our religion teaches us at the time, whether it be five or six or seven or even nine, um, and now we know that there, there fall, falls down certain obligations on this in this uh, nine-year-old individual. But further than that, before that, um, you know, it's the parent's responsibility. And often I can even talk for myself. My daughter would say, oh, mommy, if I do this, are you going to be punished? You know, can you not be punished? How can I get that? Back, you know, to, to be taken away from you. I said you cannot, because it is it is my responsibility. So let's if we could just maybe elaborate on that, Sheikh. Um, I know our time is a little bit short in the segment, so let's just take a break and maybe when we come back, we can talk more on on that topic. Inshallah. Shukran yeah. so much for joining us. So this is questions and answer forum. We continue um, the show just after the short break. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We come back with our question and answer forum and just taking a little bit of a stance on, on this whole um, responsibility of, um, of a parent onto a child when it comes to the basics of, um, of the religion in, 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 in our five principles and one I'm specifically talking about now of making salah and being obedient and, and the kind of sins that falls on the parent, um, when the child is still, when the child is not mukallaf. Yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Yeah, indeed, like I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this question that, you know, one can admire these parents, uh, these parents that are playing a vigilant role with regards to uh, wanting to find out more about the daughter's condition. And uh, yes, absolutely rightly said by yourself that it is the duty of the parents to ensure that the child uh, is educated and the child is guided in the right direction. And that is why I, uh, we find that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had said, for example, "Muru awladakum bi salati wa hum abna'u sabi'i sinin, wadribuhum alayha wa hum abna'u ashr." That you should uh, at least command your children with a salah, even if they are not mukallaf, but at the age of seven, and you should uh, beat them lightly at the age of ten to show the seriousness of 
this important aspect of salah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, what we find is that the Prophet wasallam wants us to, uh, uh, you know, habitate or to habitualize the child from a young age to sort of see the importance of salah and the importance of making that connection with one's creator, etc. Even before the time period when they become mukallaf. Mm-hmm. And the hikmah behind this is once they become mukallaf, it will be sort of a natural transition mm-hmm. to actually just do it, you know, and actually be in the mode of doing it. And I often say that, you know, you don't need to preach to your children as much as you need to show to them, you know, with examples. I mean, you have to make salah and show them the beauty of salah. And this we often find with with small children that is even two or three years old. Very often you'll find because they see it is something that happens uh, so much in the home where the family comes together at Maghrib time or Isha'i time, whatever, waqt, and they actually make salah. You'll find this three-year-old also wanting to be part yes. of the whole mix. Also bringing, you know, I remember my uh, son when he was also two, two years old, you know, he would also come with his own little musallah mm-hmm. because he also wants to be there. The point is that you don't need to do all those procedures if only you show them, you know, mm-hmm. physically with exa- by way of example what needs to be done. And yes, it is certainly the parent's responsibility to make sure that the child is educated with regards to the basics of our deen. Because Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya ladina amanu ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Oh, you who believe, save yourselves and your family from the fire of hell. So to save them from the fire of hell, you obviously need to equip them and, and educate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we often find... One of the things which I've uh, sort of encountered uh, on more than one occasion, where we find that parents, they sort of neglect the children, right? Like I said earlier on, they send the children to madrasa, but they don't give any interest. Mm. They expect the muallim, the muallima, the teachers, the khalifa, they must play that role, okay? Mm. So they don't really give importance to some of these matters. What we then find is, uh, all of a sudden, let's say the child becomes mukallaf, and yet there's no, not much interest, the child is in high school, then one day something terrible happens with the child. Right, the, either it is discovered the child is on drugs, or the child is pregnant, mm. or so many things. Now that the parent wants to wake up and say, oh "Allah, where did I go wrong?" Okay, and that's actually very sort of uh, it's a very silly question to ask if a parent was never there for the child, if they never played the role, you know, of nurturing. And I, uh, it's sad to say that uh, the the economic situation that we also find ourselves in, sometimes parents are forced to work, for example, mm. and they work because they have a bond to pay off and they have to see to the bills and, and stuff like that. The, the consequence of that is that sometimes our children suffer because that child that is in need of love, that is in need of care, that is in need of guidance, is not getting that guidance and love and compassion that the child actually needs at that stage of his or her life. And the result of that is we find that sometimes the child is looking for that guidance elsewhere, whether it is on television, whether it is with their peers. I mean, sometimes our domestics, they spend more time with the children than what we do. Mm. Okay, So you can imagine if that domestic is not somebody that is cultured, you know, in terms of religion or Islam or stuff like that. You can Absolutely. imagine the type of habits that may rub off mm. on the child if the child is seeing more of the domestic. Than, and here I'm not saying that domest- domestics are bad people. Many of them have got good character. Many of them have got, in fact, character that, that resembles Muslims' character, you know, mm. even though they are not Muslim. 
I mean, this is also our experience. But the point being that it is not their responsibility, it is your responsibility mm. to ensure. And although, yes, like I said, the economic uh, climate and the situation sometimes forces parents to go this way, they should then try to make up time. They should try to put in that extra effort mm. during the evenings or weekends, or whatever the case may be, to show that child and to give the impression to that child that they are there for them, to give them the moral support uh, in whatever way they they will obviously uh, uh, need it. So yes, it is definitely our responsibility before anybody else. We are going to be asked uh, you know, about it on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, no one else. Uh, and it's a beautiful hadith, which I uh, quote you know, sometimes uh, at the occasions of nikah, uh, where, whereby you, know, you, you always feel proud when a young boy and a young girl decide to get married you know, in the proper way, mm. the way that Islam wants. It is a very proud moment, not only for the family and the parents, but for the whole community. To see how this, this this boy and girl look after themselves and now they're getting married, you know. And one of the ahadith that I very often like to quote at that juncture is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ actually made dua for the parent. Which parent? The parent that helps his child to be obedient to Allah. Mm-hmm. The hadith says, Rahimallahu walidan a'ana waladahu ala birrihi. The hadith says, May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on the parent who assist his child in being obedient to him and being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, the Prophet is making dua for that parent. How lucky isn't that parent that plays that role and that is there uh, to, to, to guide the child and to educate the child. And after all, I think all parents, they want to see their ch- children to be good people, to be, you know, grow up as good human beings, to have values, to have morals. And we cannot expect that to happen if the seed is not planted. Mm. Okay, You cannot expect a tree to grow and a plant to grow as much water as you want to put on a piece of ground afterwards. Let's say you water and you make sure there's sunlight, but there's no seed there. Nothing will grow. Nothing will grow if nothing is, if it wasn't initiated from an earlier stage. Mm. So the same thing applies with children that we can mold them, we can help them, we can guide them as long as they are under our care, as long as they become their own uh, adults. You know, we, we are able to, to guide all these processes. And uh, of course, we, we sh- should continuously make dua that Allah Ta'ala guide the hearts of all parents, inshallah, and make them strong to always be there for their children amen, and to guide amen. them and to actually be the examples and the exemplars that these children uh, need in their lives, inshallah. It's tough being a parent, Sheikh. Challenging yeah. when when you Absolutely. have the, <laughs> all the different temperaments and, you know, those are the different ages and teenagers and, you do, you know, as much as Allah guides us and tell us what to do, you don't also want to push your child away and you need to, like, I think there's a hadith that says, uh, the prophet that says, you know, do this to your child at a certain age and then it, when the child's seven again, do this to the child and, and when he's 16, Definitely. whatever, be his friend and yes. those sort of things. And so there's the issue of peer that. pressure, there's the yeah. issue of influence out there there's an issue of the media of yeah. the you know Hollywood and all these things I mean yes the the amount of challenges I think is much greater than than before yeah. I mean parents have to be sort of much more uh, sort of involved I think mm. I think the best advice that I can give to parents is they need to be much more involved with the children yes. than before because otherwise they're going to lose their children. Yeah, no, my mom had a saying, I befriend my children on what was it at the time on Mixit and Facebook. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if that's the avenues that they find themselves then to. Then so be it. Themselves. Then so be it. I mean, that is perhaps the route to go <laughs> in order to ensure that at least you have tabs on them and you at yeah. least know what they are doing you need and to you know, are able yeah. to, to sort of guide them 
if they are engaging in those media, you can at least guide them yeah. what is on and what is not and what is acceptable mm. and what is not. Inshallah, may we all be granted the strength and necessary patience I mean, and content I mean, to be the best parents that we can. Let's uh, take a break for now and we continue with questions and answer for him in our last segment just after this, inshallah. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Hope you are well rested and safe and enjoying your weekend. A little bit of time off, hopefully, sitting back and relaxing at this edition of Questions and Answer Forum. I'm Khawa Solomon. With me is Sheikh Ibrahim Wuz, who is a resident imam at the, at the Yusufiya Masjid in Weinberg. And we continue the show. And Sheikh, I think in, in this part, which we, we often wait for as a, for a time just to do this, where Sheikh could just, you know, give us some time and advice. And this being a very, um, 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 a month of the, this month of Rajab, you know, a month to look forward to, to do lots of good deeds and look for, always forward to, to um, you know, be at our best um, as Muslims, inshallah. So, Sheikh, if we could just take this time, this last segment, just to give us advice in this in this holy month of Rajab, inshallah. Inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Indeed, uh, we find ourselves in a very, very uh, crucial period of the year. Uh, we, we find that uh, the month of Rajab is, uh, of course, as we term it, one of the sacred months. You know, there are 12 months in the year, as Allah points out in the Quran. And out of these 12 months, there are four months that stand out because they are sacred in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the verse that uh, that actually alludes to this is in Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 36, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ عِدَّةَ الشُّهُورِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ إِثْنَ عَشْرَ شَهْرًا فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ مِنْهَا أَرْبَعَةٌ حُرُمٌ Categorically, Allah ta'ala states here that the amount of months in the year is 12. Yeah, according to the book of Allah, on the, uh, from since the time when Allah Ta'ala created the heavens and the earth, there has always been 12 months. And out of the 12 months, four of them are sacred. Okay, And the four that are sacred, I mean just to mention them so that we are aware what those four months are, three of them are consecutive and the one stands individually. Okay, The one that is individually is the one that we are currently in, that is the month of Rajab. Okay, And the three that is consecutive is of course... Uh, the months of Hajj, uh, part of the months of Hajj, that would be Dhul uh, Qa'ada, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram. Okay, Dhul Qa'ada, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram. And those three months uh, are also part of the sacred months. And what it means is that Allah Ta'ala, you know, uh, uh, encourages encourages us during these month, months that we try to uh, maximize all efforts and we try to take maximum benefit of the time that Allah has given us, which is sacred. So that we can draw close to him and increase in good deeds, right? Uh, and and that is why, uh, as part of the rules of these months, were always that no whore should be fought during the month of of Ashrul Hurum. No whores should be fought during the sacred months because mm-hmm. it is months in which we draw close to Allah, where we reflect on our, ourselves as human beings, etc., etc. So we find ourselves in the month of Rajab, and we also find interestingly that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had already wanting, wanted us to prepare ourselves for Ramadan starting from the month of Rajab. Okay? Uh, because it's a hadith where the Prophet used to make dua, and this dua goes as follows. The Prophet used to say, Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa ballighna Ramadan. Oh Allah, bless us during the month of Rajab, and bless us during the month of Sha'ban, and make us reach the month of Ramadan. The Prophet wanted us not to like go into the month of Ramadan like sort of very drastically, mm-hmm. but he rather wanted us to prepare Easy. for it long before mm-hmm. so that you sort of ease into the month. 
So mm. that you way ahead of time know the virtue of what is coming. You know, I like to give this example. I don't know if it's uh, if it's acceptable or not, but this is just my analogy that I make sometimes. It is somebody that goes, you know, and he wants to swim. Mm. It, it, it's always advisable that you sort of condition your body first before you you jump into the water. I mean, you don't go and just jump into the water. Your body may get a shock. The water may be a bit too cold for your organs and for your limbs, mm. right? So what you do is you rub a little bit of water over you, slowly, gradually you walk mm. into the water and then you swim, right? Similarly, it's like if you don't take uh, you know, recognition of the fact that Ramadan is coming, you may just one day find yourself tomorrow is Ramadan and it's such a, bi- a big shock, sure. you know, for your system that physically, mentally, all of that, it, it, it can take its toll mm. if you did not do the necessary preparation for it. And and the more you prepare for it, I think the more you will be able to maximize your, the benefit out of the month. Mm-hmm. You know, preparation is key to the benefit that you will get out of the month of Ramadan. And since the Prophet ﷺ already introduced this, you know, dua in the month of Rajab, it means during the month of Rajab we should already be uh, vigilant mm-hmm. and we should already begin to change our habits. We should already slowly try to put ourselves in the mode of changing our daily routine in doing a little bit more extra mm-hmm. for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, some of the old people, they used to, you know, uh, I mean, this is what, what I heard, I never experienced it, but people told me that the old people, you know, when they, in their time, obviously there was no television, but they used to have radios, mm-hmm. what they used to call the wireless. So it was a habit. Which we have today, wireless. Which we still have <laughs> wireless today, which is very modern, by the way. So they used to have this uh, radios, and uh, what they used to do effectively was, when it used to come to the month of Rajab, this is what I heard old people say. They used to make it a habit to switch off the radio at the month of Rajab. They would not listen to the radio mm. for the entire month of Rajab and the ta- entire month of Sha'ban in preparation for the month of Ramadan. Yeah, sure. So at least you have three months, you know, consecutively mm. where you condition yourself that, you know, you need to just change your old bad habits mm. to giving more time to the Creator, giving more time to human beings, giving more time to the less fortunate, thinking of others instead of yourself. And that kind of thing. And I think that is something that we need to reintroduce, you know, within our communities. So we are in the, in the great month of Rajab, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Rajab is also the month in which the Prophet ﷺ experienced the Isra and the Mi'raj, you know, where he met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the month in which the Salah became Fard. So all these things, you know, are things that we need to reflect on. It is also the month uh, which is followed by Sha'ban. Sha'ban itself is one of uh, the great months where the Prophet used to fast, a lot of Sunnah fast during the month of Sha'ban, mm-hmm. again to condition himself for Ramadan that is coming, etc., etc. So uh, our nasiha is that people try to uh, uh, start with their preparations now already for Ramadan. Put yourself in that mode. If you can start maybe fasting on a Monday, maybe on a Thursday, you know, slowly to get into the mode of ibadah so that you condition yourself. And uh, the period itself is a very, very Mubarak period. And the key is, like I said, the more you prepare yourself now, the more you will reap the benefits when you are actually in the month of Ramadan. And our dua is that Allah Ta'ala keeps us steadfast, inshallah, during the next few months. And Allah Ta'ala gives us the health and the strength. And just to translate the dua that the Prophet used to make, Oh Allah, bless us in the month of uh, Rajab, bless us in the month of Sha'ban, and give us the health and strength to reach the month of Ramadan. I think that is the dua of each and every one. We, we would all like to see the month of Ramadan. So we make dua that Allah Ta'ala gives us that opportunity to Amen. once again witness this guest that will come along and that will shower us with the blessings and the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala.
Shukr, once again, Sheikh. It's it's just absolutely amazing how we welcome and how we love the month of Ramadan. And when it leaves, it's so sad. But unfortunately, we do not prepare ourselves. And that's the honest truth. Yeah. Many of us as our family. You know, it is reported, if I can just add this last point, it is reported that the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, the companions of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they used to, at least for six months mm. before Ramadan, they used to make dua that Allah must grant them Ramadan. For at least six months. And then when Ramadan strikes, they would at least for six months after Ramadan ask Allah Ta'ala to accept their Ramadan. And what this shows is they actually lived the whole year in Ramadan. The whole year was kept alive, the memories of Ramadan. Because Ramadan is there to, 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 to improve your condition, you know, as a human being, to improve your heart, to improve your love for Allah, to improve your love for humanity, you know. This is what Ramadan is supposed to do. So imagine you can live, and I mean we all feel it, in the month of Ramadan you feel so at peace with yourself. Mm. You feel so good about what you are doing, you feel so close to Allah, you feel so you know, excited to be somebody that makes fajr every morning on time, that, that is able to sacrifice a little bit for Allah's sake. You know? mm. Now just imagine you are able to live that type of lifestyle for most of the year. I mean, what a wonderful community we would have, what a wonderful uh, ummah we would have. And that is indeed what we should strive for, inshallah, that Allah Ta'ala makes Ramadan a living reality for us that we can experience throughout the year, inshallah Ta'ala. Amin, shukr so much to you, Sheikh, for um, allowing that words of wisdom to our listeners and as always availing yourself to... um, to be doing this live on air for us, we hope and pray that the Almighty grants you longevity and a healthy one built with barakah and khair to continue the great work you, you do within the community and uh, for all of us here in Cape Town, inshallah. Amen, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair for those beautiful duas. Allah Ta'ala accept from you, inshallah, Ameen. and grant you and all our listeners equally. And may Allah Ta'ala grant us a good period ahead, inshallah, inshallah. filled with spirituality and khair and barakah, inshallah Ta'ala. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz from the Yusufiya Masjid conducting our Q&A forum um, today. We meet again next week, same time, same place, with your questions on 47913. Jazakallah khair once again to you for your patience as we continue the show and your questions next week. From myself, Khawa Solomon, enjoy the rest of your evening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good evening.